0: God is good, isn't he? That's, that's a good song. I appreciate that. That was really good. Thank you, guys. It's a privilege to get to preach here tonight. I uh, can't help but think how good God is. Take your Bibles and turn over to uh, the book of John. John chapter 15, John chapter 15, uh, this is my first time I've gotten gotten to preach a service here, and so, um, you know, I've taken homiletics, you know, the preaching class, and my teacher for that class was Mr. Cavanaugh, so if I run long, you'll know why. (laughs) Now, I'm sure we'll get out on time tonight. Um, John 15, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says... He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, again, just so we can come here and to meet around your word. Lord, I just thank you for how good you truly are to us, Lord, and the many blessings that you've given to us. Father, I do pray that just as we consider this passage tonight, as we consider the message that you've uh, given to me, Lord, I pray that uh, you just speak to our hearts, Lord, that we'd be able to be used of you and that uh, we could grow, Lord, as a result of it, Father, I pray that... Um, you just bless this message and help us, Father, to be encouraged tonight and leave here better for having been at church tonight. Lord, we love you. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In our passage tonight, we have Jesus talking with his disciples, and he's telling them that he is the true vine, and God the Father is the husbandman. And he paints this picture of how, as Christians, as we are branches of that true vine. And we're grafted on to Jesus Christ, onto that true vine. And our purpose is that we ought to bear fruit. That's our, our goal. When you plant something that you hope to bear fruit, that's the whole purpose of it. If you grow some tomatoes, your goal is to grow tomatoes. You know, it's simple as that. So we've been grafted onto the true vine, onto Jesus Christ. And that's what he's telling his people And he tells us that our fruit should be produced and that it should remain. And there's only one way that we can be fruitful. Only one way that we are able to produce fruit. And that is from abiding with Christ. The only way that we can be profitable, the only way that we can be fruitful in this life, is if we're abiding in Christ. In verse number uh, five, he says, For without me ye can do nothing. I think of that passage, but I can't help but think later, earlier on in the scriptures in Matthew, he talks about, But with God, all things are possible. Without God, we can do nothing. We're not going to have anything profitable, but with God, all things are possible. It is our responsibility as Christians to bear fruit. And I want to talk about that tonight, but specifically I want to talk about that word abide and what it means to abide. Abide is a a simple word. It means to stay, to remain, or to dwell. This can be found in Genesis 19 verse 2. Turn there if you would. Genesis 19 and verse 2. Uh, I use the law of first mention here. The first time the word abide is used in the Bible, it's in this verse, in Genesis 19, verse 2. It says, And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. In this passage here, we have Lot. And Lot has been approached by these two angels, and they're getting ready to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angels have told Lot, I'm not coming into your house. I'm going, we're going to abide in the streets. We're going to stay here. We're going to remain here. Tonight, we're going to dwell In these streets. Turn, if you would, to Genesis 22, verse 5. Genesis 22, verse 5, it says, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Again, we see the word abide used, and the way that it's used here, Abraham's telling his servants, me and Isaac are going to go and we're going to go up the mountain and we're going to make our sacrifice. I want you guys to abide here. Remain here. Stay here. Dwell here for a few days while we go up to the mountain. That's what he's saying. Turn to Philippians 1, verse 21. Philippians 1, verse 21. Philippians 1, verse 21, the Bible says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with all for your furtherance and joy of faith. That your joy may, that your joy, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Here, Paul is again using this word abide. He's saying, I want to go to Christ, but I realize that I'm needed here. And so I'm going to abide in the flesh. I'm going to stay, I'm going to remain. I'm going to dwell here. I use scripture to Uh, define the word so that we can understand what God meant by it. And it's very plain and simple. It means that we're going to stay, to remain, to dwell. So what did Jesus mean? What did Christ mean when he said, abide in me? Well, he means to remain with him, to dwell with him, to walk with him. If we're going to be fruitful in the Christian life, then we need to be walking with Christ. We need to be dwelling with him and living with him. Our life ought to reflect that Christ is our life. Not just a piece of it. Not just a part of it. We need the Holy Spirit's power in order to bear fruit for Christ. And that means that we need to abide with Christ. And one of the ways we do that is through prayer. I don't have anything super uh, revolutionary tonight. Nothing new. Just the basics. Prayer. One of the most underused tools we have. And I think it's underused because it's the most powerful tool that we have. Without me, you can do nothing. I'm not convinced that we grasp what that means. If we truly believe that God can do all the great things that he says that he can do... Why isn't it taking place? Why aren't we seeing revival? Why aren't we seeing our family members saved, our friends saved? Why aren't we seeing the results that we should? It's because we're not abiding with Christ. It's because we're not meeting with him. We're not allowing him to change our lives. Like I said, prayer is one of the most underused tools we have. It's literally just communing with God, talking with God. It helps us to build our relationship with God. And we don't do it enough. Amen. We think we do. But do we, really, do we really take the time to get a hold of God? To sit down and listen for that still, small voice? Or do we just keep pushing on through the hustle and bustle of everyday life? Just busy, busy, busy. And I get it. I understand what it's like to be busy. But that doesn't mean that we can neglect our time with God. We can't neglect prayer because we have not because we ask not. We're not seeing the results that we want because we're not praying like we should. We're not getting hold of of the God that can do anything. Prayer is so important and we're commanded to do it. In Matthew chapter 9 verse 37 through 38, God tells us a few things that we ought to pray for. Matthew 9, verse 37 and 38. It says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that ye will send forth laborers into his harvest. So not only are we supposed to be praying for souls, but we're supposed to be praying for workers to see that harvest come in, for those laborers. It's not enough to just pray that we're used of God and pray that we see souls saved, we need to be praying that there's more workers because there's a harvest out there, there's a world, there's a lost city out there that needs saved and they're not getting saved because nobody's going. Help Come on. Amen. We're not doing it. We're not going. And it's because we're not praying. We're not getting a hold of the God that can change the hearts and lives of people. And we don't know that God we don't realize that he can do that because we don't have a walk with him. We don't know him like we should. And I'm not just preaching to you guys, I'm preaching to myself. 1 Thessalonians 5:17, a very very common, well-known verse. Pray without ceasing. Is that the characteristic the characteristic of your prayer life that you pray without ceasing that you're in a constant state of prayer? That it doesn't end. Is that what our prayer life is like? I'm the first to say mine's not like that all the time. I get distracted. I make mistakes. I allow myself to to get caught up at times in in the things that I want. And so I forget about God at times. And so I stop praying. I think I can do it myself. But we're not going to be fruitful that way. We're not going to bear fruit if we're doing it in our flesh. Maybe it's not just being fruitful that you're struggling with. Maybe it's another thing that you have, another need that you have, another struggle, another issue that only you and God knows about. Have you taken it to Him? Have we taken it to him? What's your worries? What's what's causing you to, to fret at night? What's causing you to be distracted? Have you taken it to God? Because he can meet those needs. In uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Matthew 26, verse 36. Matthew 26, verse 36, the Bible says Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the, unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, what, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus sets an example for us. He's getting ready to be crucified, to, to pay the price for sin, and To be whipped and beaten and murdered for our sins. And then to hang on a cross. And he knows it's going to be a hard thing. And what does he do? Does he get some rest for the night before? Because he knows what's coming? In a sense, he does. He gets with God and he prays. Not just for 10 to 15 minutes, but for an hour. And he doesn't just pray, but he asks those around him to pray with him. Can you pray with me for an hour, Peter? James, John, can you pray with me for an hour? That's all God's asking. Can you pray with me? I'm about to go through something rough. I could really use your prayers. Do we pray for one another like we ought to? Are we praying for one another? Are we even willing to be praying for one another? Can somebody come to you with a need and say, hey, can you be praying for me about this? Or do they feel like they're just wasting their time asking you? What's our prayer life like? If, if you are a prayer warrior, people will know it. And people will know that you can get a hold of God. One of my classes uh, was called Godly Men. We, in that class, we read uh, books about godly men. It was kind of like a book club, essentially. But we read about uh, several different men. And the theme that, that we decided that all these men had in common were that they prayed. You think of Charles Finney or George Mueller, John Hyde, who's nicknamed the Apostle of Prayer, Praying Hyde. They were successful. They saw victories in their, in their Christian lives, and it was because of their prayer life. John Hyde, uh, I, we were reading the book Praying Hyde, and in that book it was talking about how John Hyde would uh, go to these, these meetings, these conferences, and he wouldn't always go to the preaching, but he'd stay in his room and he'd pray 13, 14 hours a day. He prayed so intensely and with such fervor that his heart literally shifted. And the doctors told him that if you didn't live a life of more ease, you didn't live such a stressed out life, you're going to die. All he was doing was praying. He had such an intensity in his prayer, it affected his physical body. Because he cared about what he was praying for. He'd spend 13, 14 hours in prayer at times. That's intense. I don't know if I could do that. I, I would hope that I would have the ability to do that. I don't know that I would. And he'd come out of these prayer sessions and he'd say, I, I've met with God. And he gave me a great piece of, of, of information from his word. And he'd tell the people around him and they were just stirred and excited because he was excited because he'd gotten a hold of God. And people were saved at these conferences as a result of him praying. I think of George Mueller. Some of you may know he was a man that lived in um, Europe. Bristol was where he was mainly at. And he had an orphanage. And before he had his orphanage, he was a, a pastor at a church. And he decided, you know what, I, I'm not going to take payment from my church I'm going to trust God to provide for me. And so, what he would end up doing was that he would leave a box at the back of the auditorium. And as people felt led of the Lord to give, that's how he would live. And he did that for years. That was before he had his orphanage. And he continued to live like that. He got to the point where he decided I don't want to live trusting in that box on that back wall, I'm not even going to check it anymore. Lord, if you want me to have that money, you're going to have somebody bring it to me. Is our prayer life that sincere with the Lord, that close with him that we can trust him like that? And then watch him provide? He ended up running an orphanage of, of, with thousands and thousands of kids. I believe at one point he had four different properties he was taking care of. And time and time again, the Lord provided. Why? Because he knew how to get a hold of God, because he knew how to pray. Do we? We have our Sunday school campaign coming up in fall, in the fall, kicking off in September. We want our buses to grow. We want our Sunday schools to grow. Are we putting the prayer behind it that we need to? Are we getting a hold of God to see the results that we want to? Are we going to be able to bear the fruit that that the Lord can give to us. It's only through prayer that we will. We have to be praying. I loved when we came and met here for that 60 hours of prayer. There was a lot of good testimonies here of what God did in our lives during that time. And we're just talking about an hour of prayer. That's all it was. So then what are we doing at home? Because we can live that life constantly. But we limit ourselves and we limit God. We tie his hands so that he can't work in our lives. We allow ourselves to just get caught up with other things. But I remember coming in here, praying with everybody, just feeling God's presence. Just that overwhelming power. I fully believe that this—that the, the house of God is a house of prayer. But it's not just here that God can answer our prayers. And it's not often where he does the most work. He works in our lives most of the time in our personal t- devotions. And in that personal time that we have, when we meet with God, are we meeting with him? Are we abiding with him? Prayer is so important. It's so neglected. It was so important in the disciples' days that they would go to the church to pray for souls. Men that were seeing thousands and thousands of people saved, they would meet at a specific time to pray. They knew they needed it. And because of their prayer, they were all in one accord. They were all on the same page, ready to serve God wherever he wanted. But our prayer lives don't look like that today. Because if they did, we'd be willing to step in and serve wherever God wanted. See, I I think that you can read your Bible and not get anything out of it. I fully believe you can do that because I've done it. But if you truly pray and you truly meet with God, there's no way that you can walk away from that the same. Because when you really get a hold of God, it does something to you. All of a sudden, you start praying, and that sin that's keeping you out of your Bible is creeping up when you're praying, and you know you need to deal with it. The Lord starts to address things when we get before Him. It's that still small voice, that that prick in your heart that says, I know I need to be doing this. And so, what do we do? We don't pray. Because I don't want to change. I like the way that things are. But we're not going to be fruitful that way. The Bible says that we become withered and cast out. That's what happens when we don't abide in Christ. We become withered and cast out. We stop bearing fruit, and we're good for nothing. If you were trying to grow tomatoes, I think of tomatoes because my dad likes to grow tomatoes, But if you were trying to do that and you had a branch that just wasn't growing them and just looked withered, what were you going to do to it? You're going to cut it off. And that's exactly what God says in the Bible. He says that I am the true vine and my Father's the husbandman. Meaning God's going to come by and he's going to clip the pieces that are being unfruitful. He's going to get rid of those that are withered and not doing well. Why? So the whole can grow. I don't want to get ahead of myself, and so I won't. But we need to be in prayer. Not only that, but we need to be in our Bibles. The Bible says that in John 15, turn back to John 15. Verse number 7, the Bible says if, excuse me, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. My words abide in you. What is the word of God? It's this book right here. So that means that this book, not only do we need to be praying to God, but this book needs to be the cornerstone of our life. It needs to be what we think about every day. It needs to consume our thoughts. Does it consume our thoughts? Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. We're supposed to meditate on the word of God. That means... That, that doesn't mean what people think meditation is. It means that we're, it's in our thoughts. We're, it's consuming our thoughts. Instead, our thoughts are consumed by politics or sports or fill in the blank. Good. Whatever is taking up that time in your head, it should be the word of God. We should be thinking about the precepts that he lays out in this book, we should be thinking about what God says in his word. Do we love God's word? Do we have a a desire to know God's word? I don't know what your Bible says, but my Bible says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Meaning Jesus Christ is the word. Because the Bible goes on to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus Christ said, abide in me and I in you this is his word, then we ought to know it. Are you prepared if somebody comes to you with questions about how to be saved? Can you give an answer on that? That's one of the most basic things every single Christian should know is how to lead somebody to Christ. Because let's be honest, we don't actually know something until we can teach it. And so do you really know that you're saved if you can't teach it? That's my question. Do you know the gospel enough to be saved? Well, then you can share it with others. Maybe you don't know the plan like pastor has laid out. That's fine. But do you have a testimony? Can you walk somebody through what God did in your life? The verses, the the scriptures that he went through. Can you explain to them how I'm a sinner? I know I'm a sinner. And because of my sin, I have to pay the price for my sin but Christ died for my sins. Can we explain that? Can we show them scripture? We ought to. We ought to be able to. It's one of the most basic things. That's what every Christian ought to do, ought to be able to do. And I get it. You get to a point in your life where you're not able to go out soul winning. That's fine. We get that. But are you reaching out to those that you can? Are you praying for those that are going? Because as we just talked about, Prayer is the most important thing. Maybe you can't physically go out, but are you praying for those that are? Are you involved in their ministries through prayer? God's word needs to be in us. We need to know it if we're going to be fruitful. We have to know God's word. Psalm 119, 9 through 16. Psalm 119. Very, very famous passage in the Bible. One of my favorite passages is uh, verses 9 through 16. It says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. David here has a heart for God's word. And he became known as the man after God's own heart. And he did great things for God because he loved this book. He loved God's word. And he hid it. the Bible says he hid it in his heart that he wouldn't sin against God. He sought God. And how did he seek God? By learning his commandments, by learning the statutes that are laid out in the Bible. That's what we ought to do. It's plain, it's simple. I'm not giving you anything new. Because to be honest... I don't think we've grasped the basics. Our Christian life has become so shallow that we need the basics. We need to, we need to master this. We got to get a hold of getting a hold of God and his word. And you never stop growing. You never get to a point where you've learned everything. That's why people like John Hyde could spend 13, 14 hours in prayer because he didn't know everything that was in this book. There's always more. The the word of God is living. And you're going to face different situations in your life, different scenarios, different problems are going to arise. And all of a sudden, a new passage in this book, not a new passage, a passage you've read a hundred times will finally make sense to you because you're in that position. But you never get there if you don't know his word. You can't rely on God's word if you don't know God's word. And just to an extra piece for you here maybe you say but i don't understand what his word says that's that's a valid concern turn over to john 14 john 14 and verse 26 The Bible says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. So we have the word of God. We have prayer. We can get a hold of the God that can do anything. And then we make the excuse that, well, I can't understand it. I'm not that smart. But we have the Holy Ghost. If you're saved, you have the Holy Ghost living in you. And what's the Bible say that he's going to do? He will teach us all things. He'll help us understand those things. He'll help us grasp it. And in the end, you're probably just going to spend more time in prayer so that he gives you the enlightenment to understand what his word says, the illumination. And so now you've spent more time in God's word, you spent more time in prayer, and your walk with God is closer. It goes hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Because if you do, you're going to be spiritually sick. And you're going to be withered. And that's not where I want to be. I've been there at times where I feel like I need a little bit of watering. Where I need this word to refresh me and make me whole again. I think we all need a time where we're refreshed from God's word. And Waiting till Sunday doesn't always cut it. It doesn't cut it. I need it every day because when we go out in that world, it's filthy. You're just bombarded with wickedness all the time. Thank God for his word that can cleanse us and make us whole, can make us pure again. Are we in God's word? Are we praying? Because if we're not, then we're not abiding in Christ. And if we're not abiding Christ, we're not going to be fruitful. We're not going to see souls saved. We're not going to see our ministries grow. We're not going to grow as Christians. You say you, you struggle with this or that, and you want victory over that sin, over that area in your life. You want to be better. It's the same principle. Get a hold of God. Let him change you. My, uh, my life verse is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. That's what we need. We need to get in this book and allow it to change our lives, to renew our minds so that we can see the world saved, so that we can do something for God. I fully believe that we can reach our city. I fully believe that America's not done with yet. I believe that we can see revival in our country if we're willing to get a hold of God. But are we willing to do it? Are we willing to pray, to put in the work, to put aside what I want? That's not always easy to do because we like to be comfortable. That's what the flesh does. That's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to be comfortable. He wants you to just enjoy life. That's not why God left us here. He's given us the great commission that we're into, to go into the world and preach the gospel to every, every creature. Every creature, every person ought to know about Jesus Christ. And what I'm learning is that there's, there's bus kids coming in just from down the street that don't even know who Jesus Christ is. They don't even know a basic story of Adam and Eve because this world doesn't know God. And we think everybody does. But we're raising a generation today that doesn't. And that's only going to go one direction. That's only going to go down. We're only going to see things get worse if we don't do something about it. If we don't start trying to reach into these homes and change the lives of people. That's how we bear fruit. Verse number 8 of John 15 says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Our whole purpose as Christians is to bring glory and honor to God. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. They are and were created. We're here to glorify God, and the best way to do that is to see souls saved, to see fruit, to do something for God. Otherwise, why are we still here after we're saved? So we can live a comfortable life? The most comfortable life we're going to live as a Christian is going to be in heaven. The best life we're ever going to live is going to be in heaven. Why would the Lord put that that off if we didn't have work to do? There's a world that's going to hell, and we're allowing it to. We're not reaching out in our communities we think it's acceptable to go just these few times during the week, the scheduled times. And I'm all for the scheduled times because it makes sure that you put it on your calendar to go. But that's just a starting point. That's just a springboard to get you going, to get you involved. It shouldn't stop there. It should be every day of our lives you should be witnessing to people. See See fruit. Bear fruit is our responsibility as a Christian. Not just as a staff member or the pastor's job or the youth director's job. It's all of our jobs. Amen. And if this world has continued on in its wickedness, it's because the the church, not the pastor of the church, the church isn't doing its job. We're not doing what we ought to be doing. We're not pushing as hard as we could push. In the early days of the church, they saw 3,000, 4,000 souls saved. At one instance. Are we pushing to see souls saved? Are we getting a hold of God? Are we abiding in Christ? I want to be fruitful for God. I want to see him glorified in my life. And I'm sure that that's the case for everybody in here. I don't think anybody here would say, I don't want to honor God. I don't want to glorify him. You never outright say that. But your actions kind of show it when we don't show up for soul winning, miss a church service. We decide not to get plugged in where the Lord has already pricked our hearts about. We put ourselves, we put ourselves above God. That's, that's the idol in our lives, in all of our lives. Our, our biggest idol, it may not be physical idols like they faced, like, like they had in Moses' day, but we have an idol of ourselves, our comforts, our pleasure. Yeah. We're too comfortable. And there's missionaries in the day that they would ha- have their families stay home while they went out on the field for years at a time because there was work that needed done. And they knew that they had a calling on their life. And it may not have been safe for their families to be with them. And that's okay. But they knew that they had a call and they didn't shirk from that call. They sought God and they know they knew I had to go. I had to be there. What are you willing to give your time to? What do you give your time to? What is on your in your mind continually? What do you think about? What is consuming your life? Is it the word of God? Is it your prayer life? Are you in that constant state of prayer? It's our responsibility to see souls saved. You know, the Bible says that those that, uh, that win souls are wise. I want to be wise. I want to be a soul winner. may not always say that I am one, but I ought to be. Where are you at today? How's your prayer life? How's your Bible reading? Have you been stagnant for a while? You're stuck in a rut? Change it up. Maybe you need to spend more time in prayer, more time in the Bible. Maybe you read your Bible and then pray. Try it the other way around. Do something different. Get a hold of God and allow Him to change your life so that we can then turn around and show everybody how good God is. Because God is good, isn't He? God's so good to us. Are you abiding in Christ? Do we have a daily walk with Him? Are we praying? Are we in our Bibles? you feel that you need to do more do more if you feel the holy spirit convicting you and telling you that you need to do that submit to that give into that and then make a plan to do so get in his word with heads bowed eyes closed can't help but think of the psalmist who said search me O god and know my heart try me And know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Is that the attitude we have today towards God? Search me, oh God. Search me. As the piano plays, won't you come? Deal with whatever it is that you need to.